Welcome to People of Hope, a conversation with the pastoral staff of Ignatius House Jesuit Retreat Center in Atlanta, Georgia. So joining me today is um, Sarah Otto and Father Peter Fink, both on staff at Ignatius House. And the topic this month is God's will. And it's a it's a great topic, actually, to follow our two past episodes where we talked about both desires and indifference. And I'm sure those, those concepts will both come up today. But I want to start with this phrase, God's will, because um, you hear it a lot, certainly, in, in Christian or religious circles of this idea of what does it mean to do God's will? How do I hear God's voice and know that I am doing God's will? What does it even mean? Um, and we'll certainly talk about kind of the Ignatian understanding of that. Um, but Sarah, Peter, how do you understand God's will? What does that mean? Well, let me start. Um, it's a strange topic simply because what I hear when people say things like, I know God is calling me, but I'm not sure where. And that kind of uh, uh, strange way of naming it um, is very odd because, one, it, uh, it says something about who God is for the person. And usually that's one place I want to start is to ask, who is this God that you're talking about? And then secondly, the notion that there is a recipe out there and that somehow or other, if I discover and finally achieve that recipe, then everything is fine. And uh, that too comes down to a strange way of imagining. And yet, unfortunately, it is the way an awful lot of people begin asking the question, what is God's will? That there's something out there that I have to find. And I, I always immediately ask, as I ask myself, is what do you do? What do you want? You know, what are your desires? And see the I, you know, I, I think when Ignatius uses that language of God's will, I think he's talking about such an intimate relationship of himself and the God who is his creator, that those two are not separate. So to find your desires is to find God's will. Hmm. You know, but for an awful lot of people, they're not yet in that uh, correspondence of, God's will and my desires are the same thing. So, the, it, 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 and the further out it gets, the harder it is to, to discuss the thing. So that would be my starting point, just to begin to say, I think, you know, when people use the term God's will, um, there's still that notion of a recipe that somehow they need to find. And that secondly, oh, where are they in relationship to God? Because if God is sort of uh, an out there God with an out there recipe, then good luck if you're going to find it, you know. But uh, you know, but if you begin to see that that God, who is our Creator, is forming us, and that God's forming us is itself His being with us in our own musings and desires. Um, then you get a very different view as to why why my own desires start out as the place to start, 
and then get into the language of discernment and how how to because I mean also are there there are other things in there that resist it and so how to get into that kind of language but yeah, when I hear the language of God's will, I I think, and I, I think a lot of people um, attribute it to God's plan for my life. And so I always go back to Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, the verse that was just told me all the time as, um, you know, youth group member and, and my mom used to pray it for me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And so, and taken out of context, I always then, you know, grew up thinking, okay, God's will is this mysterious thing that will unfold and it's future oriented. And, and I don't know what it is. I just have to trust. Um, And it wasn't until I was an adult and really looked at that passage in full and realized that was while the Israelites were in exile and, and therefore probably not very happy, but there were verses before that where God tells them, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their fruits, find wives, have children. And so God's will for them was not some mysterious thing yet to unfold. God's will was for them to be present, even in exile. And and so seeing that as an adult made me realize we've made God's will into some mysterious thing when really it's in the concrete and particular in the present moment of how to make the most of our present situation. Um, and that, that really helped me. It helped me take, or it took the pressure off of finding God's will and, and really made me just look at, okay, how can I make the most of the situation that I'm in right now? Even if I make a bad decision, God's not going to not show up, <laughs> you know, that like God doesn't just show up if I choose the right thing. Um, but it's finding the most and the most life in, in the choice that I did make, whether it's A or B, um, God shows up in both places. So I think for me, it's been a shift from mystery out there, future unfolding to here and now in the concrete particulars. Yeah. You're both, you're both, sort of undoing this popular notion of God's will being solely future oriented. Um, and I remember Peter, when I heard you mention that first time of like, yeah, is it this recipe? It's like the idea of a blueprint. And if you ever saw in the movie, the adjustment bureau from many years ago, it, the story was this sort of God figure who had this blueprint. And anytime you start straying from that blueprint, well, there are, people there to try to get get you back on track. And so it really brings in these questions of free will, you know, and why do we have a image of God who is so enigmatic and, and, you know, hiding this plan that we somehow have to discover unfold that as if it's not being shared with us. And I think that completely goes against the Ignatian idea of, of co-laboring, right? That God actually uh, wants us to, have a part in the unfolding of God's desires, of God's project that God cares about <clears throat> what we have to say. That Because I think the idea of God's will for me has been, it, it's this image of that it's I'm passive and I'm just waiting for God to speak out of the clouds and tell me what to do. You know, more it's more of a dictatorial God. Yeah, the whole language of dictatorial, you know, it, it 
even as in, I'm thinking of two things in the uh, Constitution on the Church in the Modern World, when it talks in chapter 16 on the dig- human dignity, you know, and it talks about the freedom of conscience and how even if your conscience is mistaken or distorted, it has such dignity that according to that, you will be judged, you know, mm-hmm. not, it, it, it's not that this is a false thing, but there is something about discovering in your heart where I might go, what, what, what my future is, not so much what God's future is for me, but what my future is with God, you know, that, that there's, a, there's a different notion of future there. And the unfold, I, like to, I like to use the image of unfolding. That, uh, that somehow everything that we have is kind of an unfolding of God, not just, not just co-laboring, but an unfolding. Mm. Um, that, that there is something about, you know, we say that God became human in Jesus. Well, that says something about human for all of us, that God is becoming human in us. Jesus didn't have resistance, obviously, we do. But that's, again, back to discernment, to, to discerning where it is that my, I become my best self is what God wants me to be as my best self, you know, mm. and overcoming the resistances that keep me from that. But it, but it, 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 it gets deeper and deeper inside the heart and, mm. and further and further away from some ima- imaginary whether we call it recipe menu or, you know, external plan, it's the same thing. It's sort of like God's waiting if we don't get it. <laughs> God's will is to be my true self. Easier said than done, but I, the disco- I think the discovery element of that is I need to discover that true self that is already present. I need to peel away the attachments and the masks and the other things that I'm clinging to that I put above above that true self, above God, and then I can find that true self in that freedom. And that's, that's God's will. Yeah. I think the passage from the Gospels that can hit people the most and make them struggle with God's will is the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus saying, not my will, but yours be done. And I think that language is challenging because it, then it does make it seem like our desires are in contradiction with God's desires if you really are having to relinquish your desire to stay alive. <laughs> um, so how do you how do you expand that gospel to allow God's will to be one of freely chosen um, and not not resisted? We're not Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but we have yeah, but we we could have the, t- the tendency to put ourselves in Jesus thing and say that Jesus' real desires was to take the cup away from us, and so he's going to surrender it to God. But Jesus' real desires is to surrender it to God, and his, his, the cup that he wants taken away from him is really, it's, it, it's like um, the last temptation of Christ. It is a temptation. It, it, it is not his true self. His true self, I mean, we say that Jesus was there to, unfold in our human life what God is about. So he, he could never um, he could never go against that. And I think when he says, my, you know, take this cup from me, that's going against his deep desire 
to love God and to and to surrender to God and to trust God. You know, I, I think I, I think that's a great a great a great moment. I always say that that's his real sacrifice. You know, when 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 he when he because he's surrendering into God is surrendering into who he is. And I wonder if that's where the conscience comes in that that we can be resistant to the. Uh, to that surrendering that our conscience might be calling us to. Yeah, yeah. This morning, actually, I was listening to a podcast that was talking about the history of astrology and how it became this sort of competitor to traditional religion, but that it started from this kind of learner. Apparently, even Thomas Aquinas, you know, was knowledgeable about astrology. But uh, I realized, you know, the, this idea of future orientation, future telling, fortune telling, that there's this plan that I don't see, but, you know, somehow needs to be revealed. And that's also in astrology. I, I think that's, I think that's a human sign that we sometimes just don't trust ourselves to be present to what is, that we're just waiting for someone to tell us what things will be or what things are supposed to be rather than trusting ourselves to really be on that journey. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting way of putting it because I think um, if I think of myself as here static and something else is something static, and then I'm moving to fixed realities, trying to find it. But if I say here I am, as an unfolding reality of who I am, then the future is not something static away from me that I somehow have to find, but it's a real trust in the journey that I'm on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, almost to go back to Jesus in the garden, I've always seen that as when Jesus said, your will be done, but essentially it was an act of trust and saying that, that anything now that happens, happens. It happens for all sorts of reasons. But, but he's done it because he trusts that God will be with him. And, um, but I mean, we you have to see our lives as I'm not finished. And how do I become more finished? Mm. You know, in other words, there's a movement there. And if it's just simply as here I am, and I want God's will, which is something given to me, it's, that, it's a different way of even imagining things. It's two static realities rather than one thing unfolding into the other. That makes me think of the, the language we use of already, but not yet, or just like hold it, the both and that. And I, I was really thinking of the both and when praying with Psalm 139 recently and you know, that idea that God, all of my days are written in God's book. Um, but of being able to see that still with the God looking upon my life and the freedom that I make in, in that journey and just watching and joy as it unfolds and as I discover what those days are and that it, it is still a mystery, but that it's an active one that God's just kind of delighting this, this ride that we're each on. And yeah, the independence we have in it, though we're held by a future plan as well. Um, so holding both in tension. 
When people think of God's will, I think it often comes to decision making. I think that's really what it often is about because it's there is this sense I don't trust myself fully in making this decision. Um, what if it isn't God's will? Is it God's will to take this job or to move here or to it or to have another child or whatever it might be? That's that's where the the idea of co-laboring and actually being a companion on the journey with God requires discernment, which is both a listening um, and a speaking, you know, that allowing God to hear you. I imagine like Jesus and me sort of arm in arm walking side by side where we're talking about, hey, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think? You know, he's asking me what my opinions are. I'm asking him. And so we're journeying together there's a companion friendship aspect to the journey. It's not, you know, Jesus, what do you think? I'm going to do exactly what, what you say. That's just not what the relationship is. Well, and I think when there's a relationship and respect that helps us to remember the generosity of God, and that God's will is not limited, you know, just if, and again, I, I think that takes the pressure off of us in these decisions that we make and, and just looking at our own life. I don't think moving to California was necessarily the right decision for us. It, it was largely ego driven for me. I don't necessarily know that's where um, I was going to flourish, but God showed up, you know, like God showed up in full, even in a circumstance and situation that wasn't the best for me, for us. Um, and so that God's will is not limited. God's will will show up. God's will be done. Yeah. Whatever, whatever we end up deciding. Um, that yeah, if we truly trust that God's will be done, and that's what we pray, then we're going to believe that. Mm-hmm. Even when we make the best decision we can, even though it may not be, may not be the best decision. I I, yeah, I spent a couple of years as a as a Jesuit, and I remember as a novice. Um, at one point, kind of liking the idea of the vow of obedience, that at the end of the day, I wasn't the one that had to make the decision. I could just be told and I could say, oh, that's God's will. You know, there was something sort of easy about that. And I think some people find that, right? There's just, it's easier to be told what to do because I don't want to have to take that heart energy to discern and to listen and to pay attention to my own desires. And so that I think was a disservice to the vow of obedience. Um, Peter, maybe you can talk more to, uh, to obedience. You've been in Jesuit for, for a while, but um, is an obedience about, about listening, about discerning? When you talk about Jesuit obedience, you're really talking about myself and a superior discerning together. You're, because you can't talk about obedience in some abstract value. Obedience is in a relationship. And uh, and that, that's true of other kind of re- relationships, too. There are, there's a way in which obedience unfolds when we decide together rather than I do what you tell me or you do what I tell you. You know, now, there's an image that I like to use. and I'm thinking of it as we're talking here. Um, the Hall of Prisoners, I mean, you may have heard me say this before, where Michelangelo's David is, there's a hall that leads into where David is, which is also contains material by Michelangelo. 
And Michelangelo had this sense that when you buy a marble, the image is already there. And all the sculptor does is take away the excess. And in the Hall of Prisoners, he's got a series of people who are half people struggling out of the marble. Mm. And you know, I think as we're talking about God's will, I think one of the issues is for ourselves to realize that we are not finished. I think a lot of people say that I am, but rather than saying I'm not yet, you know, that there is, and that part of this discovery of my true self is really to discover myself as all of this stuff has been pulled away from me. And, uh, you know, but just to have to realize that we are all in that situation where there's, there's, there are still bits of marble around me that need to be stripped away. And only when I, you know, when I really come forth, then I will know that God's will and my will are the same thing, you know. You know, I, when I talk about the true self, I think we can conflate the true self with, you know, my vocation or my career or those kinds of things. And I see more of that stuff as the extra, the marble that's stripped away, the true self within is just one who's beloved by God. And so God's will is coming to that true self and living out of the love of God and living the gospel. And some of that other marble may be helpful, right? Our, our career, our various vocations can be helpful into in living into that true self, but they themselves are not our true self. I think I, that's the I, easy mistake to make. That's what that noble phrase of Ignatius of indifference is all about. It's, it's, it's not that there's anything wrong with those things. It's just that if I so cling to them that they become my God, then, then they become uh, marble to be rejected. Yeah, you know. But sometimes they're not marble to be rejected. They are part of who I am. Mm-hmm. You know. You know. I know. I, I know of a couple that uh, years ago I, I, I met them in Hawaii, but um, to watch them be together, there was a, there was a sense in which they knew what they knew what love was about. That there was no. Did they fight? Yeah, they fought. They, all of those kind of things. But there was just something deeper, and you could see it with them. You know, and I think I think there's something about that as they spent so much time, fifty plus years together, they became truly united in a way that what we we Christian we Catholics would call sacramental. They did things always together, not necessarily agreeing. They did things always. It was a, there was a kind of togetherness there. And I think that when we're talking about God's will, this togetherness I'm trying to get at is the togetherness of myself and my desires and the desires of God for me. You know, a, a togetherness. I think that's how obedience even plays out in a, like a marriage relationship like that, is that I have to be attentive to the needs and desires of the other. And so there's a, there's a mutual obedience. Yeah, it's not telling each other what to do, but it's we're making decisions and following on this path of life in service of that love relationship. And when we do that, we become our best, our true selves. Well, thank you both for uh, having this conversation. So much goodness to unpack. Thank you. Thanks for listening. 
Learn more about Ignatius House by visiting us at ignatiushouse.org or following us on social media. And be sure to subscribe to this wherever you listen to podcasts. May the blessing of God be with you always.